trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Hey, you hear me talk about the great sponsors who make this program possible. They include lifesavingfood.com, the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George, Utah, and MonticelloCollege.org. And as luck would have it, I have the founder and president of Monticello College joining me today. That's Dr. Shannon Brooks. Shannon, great to catch up with you once again. Thanks, Brian. So, uh, okay, I guess some people are probably meeting you for the first time. Some people will will know your name, but for those who are just getting to know you, talk to me a little bit about uh, who you are and what you are doing. Okay, and I just want to point out that it looks like we may have a little instability on our Internet connection here with this snowstorm we're going through over here. So, um, yeah, so Shannon Brooks um, worked with Oliver DeMille for a long time on another venture and um, we've been running this college up here in the mountains of uh, southern Utah for the last, um, we started 12 years ago, but we've, we've just, we're just finishing our sixth year of operation with full-time students. And um, it's going well. We're, we're, we're meeting our mission goals, and uh, we're, we're pretty excited about what we're doing. Okay, we'll we'll find some time to talk about uh, the new economy, which which is something that I think you are you're a pioneer in in the new economy and where it's heading. But uh, there was an issue that came up recently um, following the the withdrawal from Afghanistan, and of course some of the just awful events that that followed as a part of that. I think it was thirteen or fourteen U.S. service members killed in a suicide bombing, and uh, right. lots of hardship, lots of suffering. There was a Marine Corps officer who called out. Um, I don't remember if it was just administration officials or if it was, you know, some of the top brass for, for the way decisions were made. Can you bring us up to speed on on what that situation was and, and what happened as a result of this guy speaking up? Sure. sure. Yeah. Lieutenant Colonel uh, Schuler. Um, I, again, I'm not privy to all, all the details, but just basically what we've gleaned from the news. Um, he, he'd had enough. They they. Uh, when you're now, now I, I served in the military years ago and I was in submarines. And so it's very different than the army, but, but, the, but there is a sense of, you want to make sure, especially when there's lives involved, you want to make sure that what you're doing um, has a purpose, ha, has a righteous end and goal. Right. And I think Schuler with this debacle of, 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 of Afghanistan and how that was handled so, so poorly, um, you have a lot of guys who, who have come back saying, look at all that we did, through, watching our friends die, watching innocent civilians die, um, for what? Just so we could give it back to them 20 years later? That just makes no sense. And I think that was that's what he was doing, was uh, voicing that for himself and for everybody else. And, and he mentioned several times, willing to put his, you know, his career on the line, willing to put his retirement on the line. Um, and that's his prerogative. So, so that's, that's the basic story. The, the, there's a couple of angles on this that I've really th- thought about. One is a civilian perspective, right? And a civilian perspective is, hey, man, First Amendment, we get to say whatever we want to, whenever we want to, to whoever we want to, <laughs> and you can't do anything about it. And that's true. 
um, unless you factor in cancel culture and, and other things. But yeah, in, in general, that's the idea. Um, and so from that perspective, I 100% agree with Schuller. I mean, it just, you know, you, you should be able to say things. But the other side of this, and this is the side that unless you've been in the military, um, it, it's hard to kind of get your head around. Uh, he's actually uh, beholden to another legal system while he's in, uh, you know, active duty. And that is the, uh, m- m- you know, military justice system. And um, and there's a thing called the uh, uh, chain of command. And uh, to call out uppers like he did top brass in the way he did, as much as part of me says that was totally right, the other part of me says, wow, uh, that that you you know you're going to get in trouble for that. You you know they're going to come after you for that. And I think he did. And I, I think he was willing to take that hit. But that doesn't make what he did right from that perspective, right? And and I think that's that, – now, it makes it really doubly difficult when you have morons – I'm a civilian, so I can say this – morons <laughs> like Millie and others who are running the show who are absolute morons. Um, but ultimately, it's commander-in-chief, right? Ultimately, the one you – look at a military top brass – Chief, Joint Chiefs of Staff, you know, all those generals and admirals and all those guys at the top, their job is to tell the president what they, they think. You, you don't lose your position for being stupid, you know, uh, or, or for giving bad advice. The president ultimately has to take the advice or, or, or not take the advice. Now, if, if, if I'm the general and I'm giving bad advice and the president takes it and it, it you know, tanks on him, then I fire that general, or the, the president fires me as, as, as an advisor. Um, so although he's got this outrage, although Schiller is, is, is right from my perspective as a civilian in all this, and we did debacle this whole thing, there's a proper way to do this within their system, and he didn't follow that proper way. And so what's happening, even though I think they're going way beyond what they have to do, you know, I'm not sure where he's at right now, but last I heard he was he was uh, in pretrial confinement. And and um, so there's just a lot more to it than the average person looking from the outside, you know, at this thing. But, yeah, certainly, certainly we've got some really bad leadership in the military side and on the civilian side. It's I, I feel for the guy because uh, I, I value speaking up and speaking your conscience. But, you know, um, I don't know enough about the uniform code of military justice. To, to know how, how one would navigate that. Um, is I, I assume it's likely there are others in the military who feel very much the same way that he does uh, about uh, some of the incompetence that they see, especially at the upper levels, where people are, are insulated. They can make bad decisions, but somehow they never really seem to, to suffer the consequences for it. And I'm sure that's why he spoke out as he did. Um, short of resigning their commissions and and leaving, you know, separating from the service, what are some of the options available to a person within that military setting that doesn't run afoul of that UCMJ? Yeah, yeah. Again, I'm no expert on this. Um, I, I will tell you, they're they're far and few in between. Is is my belief? Uh, it's pretty much a closed system. But remember, you voluntarily join that system, so you can't really complain about the 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 rules of the game if you voluntarily join that game. Um, but yeah, clearly, clearly, he's justified. Clearly, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of of active military members who are in concert with him on this. Um, But if you plan to 
keep your rank, if you plan to not be in the brig, if you plan to, <laughs> to keep your retirement, you've got to follow it in a certain path. And, and I don't know what his financial situation is. And maybe he didn't need the retirement. And he's certainly making, if, if his whole goal was to, was to, to make a point and get everybody's, you know, to notice him, well, he accomplished that. Um, but I, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's the same way we, you know, we, you watch all this stuff happening in these, these school board meetings and, and, you know, the, a couple months ago, these, guys in Virginia got arrested, you know, at the school board meeting. And it wasn't because they were protesting. It was because they were resisting arrest and, you know, fighting after the meeting had already been closed. And, and so you just have to follow the system. Yes, it requires incredible patience on our part. And, um, but you just have to, you have to know that that's a system. Now, look at if your whole point is be a rebel, you know, you want to do another Boston Tea Party and really shake it up, <laughs> go for it. But know there's going to be consequences to pay. That's all. One of the things that I wanted to get your take on, we've got about a minute and a half here in the segment. Um, I know there are a lot of service members right now who are balking at being ordered mm-hmm. to take the uh, the COVID vaccine. And uh, oh, I... Oh. I'd love to get your take. I mean, like you pointed out, they voluntarily joined the service. They signed the contract. I'm sure it was explained to them. You know, you're giving, you know, your volition away to some degree when you join. Um, have have they forfeited the right to say no to to a vaccination like this? You know, I, I again, it's uh, you know, I got out in in '87, so it's been a while. But um, I, I think there might be a case here, and that is. You know, if this if this vaccine was not specifically identified in the beginning, uh, especially with the fact that it's a pandemic and everything else, um, I, I think they might have a case of saying, look at, you know, this is this is after the fact. This is this is a, a bait and switch scenario and they might be able to get, get there. On the other hand, um, again, that's the system you're part of. And if you don't like it, you know, to get out. Officers can resign their commissions and listed. That's a, it's a little more complicated. Um, you may even do some time in a brig, but that's, you know, you, you got to make a choice. But I, I, I think there's been a, my guess is a, a little bit of bait and switch. Yeah. I think we need good people in our, our military, but I think it also serves as kind of a cautionary tale of um, you should be very aware of what you're getting into be, before you join. I've actually heard you caution, you know, family members who are thinking about becoming, you know, uh, part of the military, you know, think about it because it's, it's, it's a commitment. Hold that thought, Shannon. We're going to come back and continue our conversation with Shannon Brooks. He is the president of Monticello College. You can check him out at MonticelloCollege.org. I've even put a link right there in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. We'll be back just the other side of these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. I'm talking with Dr. Shannon Brooks. He is the founder and president of Monticello College. And uh, Shannon, I appreciate uh, I appreciate your take on uh, Lieutenant Colonel Schuler and, and, you know, making a stand. I'm seeing a lot of people, and we'll just shift it over to the civilian world right now. There are a lot of people who are facing mandates, and and I don't even mean legally enacted ones, but just the president has decreed this is how it's going to be. OSHA, you're going to enforce it. Companies of 100 people or more, you are expected to tow this line or be fined thousands and thousands of dollars. And a lot of people are choosing to walk away from jobs or to be fired from their jobs rather than submit to a medical 
treatment that they may not want. Give me your take on on what you see shaping up, um, whether it's in terms of you know personal uh, personal politics or whether it's in terms of what this means for our economy. Because it, it doesn't feel like we're standing in a very healthy place right now. No, absolutely not. And you know, look at back in March and April of 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 twenty twenty. Um, most of us thought we were all going to die. You know, it, this sounded really bad. We're not at that place. There is so much information out about this now. We know that the, the masks um, scientifically are pretty much useless um, in terms of this virus and being able to, cut, you know, the holes in the masks microscopically are bigger than the virus. So uh, it goes through. Uh, we, we know that the vaccines have at best problems, um, meaning we've we fast we fast stream this thing um, should take five or seven years to do this we've done it in a year and a half um, and we know there's lots of problems we know we know people the vaccine does not keep you from getting the virus uh, and often you give it to other people for, you know shedding that kind of thing we, you know we know all these things so and and again for the civilian world this is all after the fact for what for what reason you go there's tons of facts out there talking about showing that this is really really not this deadly we're all going to die from this scenario. Um, kids, you know, almost never get it in the first place. And those of us who do, I'm, I'm 60 years old. So, you know, I'm, I'm just on the edge of that, that at risk group. Um, and there's just not enough data to, to, to prove this thing out and treating it the way it is. So doing all these, these mandates, um, I, I think this is, a hundred percent immoral, frankly, from my perspective, it will continue to hurt the economy. Um, I just just saw on the news uh, that there's about four or five thousand people in New York who, in the education system, who have chosen not to do this. And they're not only are they on unpaid leave, they're now taking away all their health insurance, um, all these things. It's just completely, uh, you know. This is socialism, Brian. This is socialism. This is p- political pressure on something that that. You know, the, the, the Barrington Declaration has some 45,000 doctors who have si- signed up for this thing saying, look, at, this, is not, this, this de- disease is not what they're telling us it is. And so, yeah, this is incredible overkill. And, uh, it, you know, it's, it's leading up to a control scenario. I don't know what all the details are, but clearly there's something going on here. Oh, I would agree. And, and it's yeah. the, the urgency with which... Um, that that vaccine is being pushed like it started out as, hey, we'll give you a free Krispy Kreme donut. I mean, to we'll pay you 50 bucks to right. we will take away everything that you value <laughs> until you do yeah. this, which brings me to the, the new economy, because right now there are people who uh, I think are perfectly good, capable, you know, productive citizens, but they find themselves faced with a choice. I either submit to this procedure, which I may not want, or I stand to lose my my employment. Let's talk about uh, what this means for people who really want to be able to stand on their own two feet, make their own decisions, and not be subject to this mandate or that mandate based on what their employer or the government via their employer is demanding of them. Yeah, l- l- let me kick this off with, 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 this, with this reality. Um, I have a study in my office that shows for the last 800 years, any country that had a greater than 80% DP ratio tanked, never recovered, always went down. Our debt, our nation today, our debt to GDP ratio uh, is somewhere approaching 100%. It might even be over 100%. I think it's point, over. Which means we, 
Yeah, it probably is, which means there's no question. Historically, we will have an economic, a massive economic decline, um, whether it's six months from now or six years from now, I don't know, but it's coming. So it only makes sense that when you have, uh, you know, I I have a book here, Brian, um, you're probably familiar with, it's called um, uh, COVID-19, The Great Reset, right? Klaus Schwab. This is by Klaus Schwab. And wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when you read all this, and so when you see all this happening, there's not a question of whether any of this will really come to fruition. It's when. And so the new economy is something we created at the college saying, look at you young people. If Social Security goes down or, you know, is there, or if it tanks on, on me, I'm 60 years old, I have no intention of, 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 of planning on drawing on that. So I'm prepared for that. But you, it will impact you greatly because you're 20 you're something right now. So the new economy is designed to not only give these kids a great liberal arts education, but to insulate them temporally to help them develop a business, grow their own food, build their own house, not have a mortgage, all these things. So when this reset does happen, it's not a matter of if, it's when. When it does happen, only insulated from it, but they're in a position to provide sound leadership for, for, for their, their communities. We were talking this morning about this in a financial IQ program that we do here. And we were talking about the fact that you might think that, okay, new economy for myself, fine, I'm covered. And, you know, don't worry about my neighbors, but you must worry about your neighbors because who, who are they going to come to? They're going to come to you. And so the best way to insulate yourself in a community effort is to get as many of your community members around you insulating themselves as well. So it ends up becoming this community effort, right? Um, but it, there's no question. At this point, there's no question. This is going to get more difficult economically. The inflation's already going through the roof right now. Um, you look at Argentina, look at Greece, look at any of these countries, over, not Argentina, uh, I mean... Um, Venezuela. Uh, Colombia. Venezuela, sorry. And Colombia. Um, uh, you look at Cuba back back at, at peak oil for Cuba back in the 90s. Look at all these things. It's a telltale. It's the same story over and over again. We're on that path. It's irrefutable. Wake up, right? Wake up, America. Start doing something yep. about it now. And, and I'm just, okay, for my listeners, you know, my goal anytime I sit down to do this show is not to make you angry or make you fearful. And I understand the stuff we're talking about. Shannon and I are talking about some pretty heavy stuff. That's that can be scary, but we're doing this as a reality check and as as a friend would speak to you and and say, here's what's coming and let's let's do something productive. Shannon, I got to tip my hat to you, too, for for taking the time to see where Klaus Schwab and others, you know, at the World Economic Forum are coming from. I've watched some of the promotional videos they've put out about what they're kind of imagining the future to be like. It it looks very peaceful but it also looks very subservient from the standpoint of everybody is still masked. Everybody is still working from home. Kids are being schooled at home and whatnot. Bottom line is somebody else is calling all of the shots and people will have very little autonomy under such a system. This is not what Washington, Adams, Jefferson, um, Hamilton, any of them signed up for. This is not it. And, um, <clears throat> and we can have an impact. You know, these things never go fully how they're planned. So whatever the Great Reset plan is, it won't go that way 100%. And we can have an impact if we're not tied to it. If, if, if we don't have a mortgage, if you don't have debt. We, we going, Walking through this with these 20-somethings is really exciting because <clears throat> they really don't 100% understand what I'm talking about. But 
they are starting to see the reality. And I just show them all these other economists and people who are saying the same thing. And they're starting to really get this going in their head, thinking about businesses. In fact, 90% of our graduates so far all already have up and running businesses. So we're pretty excited about that. Well, you should be. And I'm going to, again, I'm going to encourage our listeners, check out the link that I provide in the show notes to MonticelloCollege.org. We're talking with Dr. Shannon Brooks. Shannon, I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to visit with me. And uh, let's let's do this more often because I, I like being able to pick your brain. Awesome. Let's do it, Brian. Sounds great. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. And we are back, and I want to welcome uh, my friend from across the pond. That would be Connor Tomlinson. He is a Young Voices contributor as well as just an all-around interesting and fun guy. And, and it's his birthday. So, uh, Connor, happy birthday to you. Thank you very much, Brian. Good afternoon from, uh, from dreary old England over here. Uh, good morning. Dreary old England. Oh, no. It can't be that bad. I, I, just, I say that because we just got our first snow of the season a couple of days ago. And, uh, and some areas, man, it, it, winter wasn't messing around. It got right to it. We're permanently overcast. Our autumns are less a Raid Bradbury novel and more just filled up mushy gutters. So you're not going to get many uh, <laughs> seasonal pumpkin spiced shots walking around Britain streets. I can tell you that. Well, I, I see you making waves on Twitter these days and uh, and on a most interesting topic. Um, look, I grew up with comic books. I wouldn't say I was a huge comic book fan, but I sure didn't turn down a chance to to read them at Comic Book Heroes. And Superman has kind of an interesting twist lately. Walk us through what's happening there. So a little bit of context. Uh, yesterday was National Coming Out Day in the United States, apparently, because obviously you wouldn't know unless you'd logged on to Twitter.com. Um, and DC Comics decided to use a bunch of outlets to promote their new title, which is the new Superman comic written by a guy called Tom Taylor. He's written things like Injustice and Suicide Squad, so he's quite a high profile writer these days. And they decided to use National Coming Out Day to promo the new Superman as being bisexual. Now, it might be the case that the old Superman is gone because there might be another legal battle with Superman's creator's estate and DC Comics. Because a long time ago, DC Comics bought the rights to Superman with the first comic strip for nickels and dimes, basically. And obviously, he's become one of the biggest pop culture icons forever. So it might be that they need a new Superman to avoid the copyright. However, given their treatment of Superman in the last nearly 100 years, um, I would suppose that it's more just a continual degrading of the man's legacy. But what's happened is the new Superman, John Kent, who's Clark Kent's son, um, I will explain his backstory shortly because it ties into Superman legacy, has come out as bisexual. Now, this does cut off the fact that about a week ago in that, he was in a relationship with a new Wonder Woman. So I seem to think that this has been a diversity change um, to make him more brave and stunning. But also the existing history of him being heterosexual up until this point meant that they had to do bisexual without plausible deniability. Now, it doesn't seem that the bi erasure that a lot of LGBT plus acronym activists talk about, it doesn't seem that matters when 
as soon as they change a character to bisexual, they only go for exclusively same-sex relationships, but that's neither here nor there. Um, so a lot of headlines you'll be seeing is, the new Superman is bi. Um, he wasn't when he was created, and this is a pretty substantial retcon, and it also sidelines the original Superman uh, uh, for reasons that has been going on that I'm sure we'll get into very shortly. Okay, well, it's... Look, I know, I understand that things change, but it seems like every superhero is getting a bit of a of a makeover here. Um, for what you've just described, it doesn't that doesn't sound like a terribly huge makeover. Okay, he's perhaps curious, maybe some same sex attraction, but but I don't think they they turned him into something that nobody would recognize, right? No, uh, but it does cut off one of the existing storylines that he had with the, the new Wonder Woman that happened in Future State. So I suppose it's probably best to start from the beginning for an entryway for non-comic book readers, because I'm really deep in the weeds on this stuff. Anyone who's seen a photo of my shelves on Twitter will know I spend way too much time and money on, on, on this stuff for a 23-year-old man. So basically, 1993, the sales of Superman peaked, and some people that are older than me may remember when the death of Superman made the paper headlines. It was a big event. Um, President Clinton even spoke about it at one point. He was actually pictured as giving the eulogy in the book alongside Hillary. Uh, The art was much more favourable to her than time has been, it seems. Uh, And then, since then, Superman sales have plummeted, and they've audiences have, have seen a bunch of gimmicks that writers have fallen back on to try and sell new comics. They they split him into two people at one point, made him Superman Red and Superman Blue, like Flavors of Mountain Dew. They gave him a mullet, which is probably the biggest crime of all. And uh, then around 2005's Infinite Crisis, they brought the old Superman back from the Golden Age, the, the, sort of the mum and dad Superman that was in the radio shows and the 30s cartoons, and they pitted them off against each other. And super, the new Superman learned from the old Superman how to be Superman again, because to quote Batman, the last time Superman inspired anyone was when he was dead. Uh, so then since then, 2011 happened. In 2011, there was something called the New 52 and Action Comics, which was the original Superman title from 1938, where he debuted in number one. It had been running all up until that point. It got into the, the 900 issues and it hit a thousand last couple of years. They stopped that and they stopped America's longest running comic book and said, hey, we're going to start from issue one. Everyone's going to be young and hip and new and dark and edgy including Superman, and Superman really isn't that character. So not only did they take away the uh, trunks on the outside of his underwear, but also they gave it one title over, Superman, to George Perez, who was a veteran of the industry, who then shortly quit because they didn't talk to him and, and they wasted that talent. And the other title over to Grant Morrison. And Grant Morrison used to be a really prolific Batman writer. Problem is he's entered a social justice phase at the moment. Um, going by they then pronouns now so that was a misslip of the tongue i don't want to get youtube yeeting me off the platform but morrison has decided to say superman is a socialist superhero and so we got stuck with that for five years obviously everyone hated it so despite the fact that there's an omnibus release fairly recently and they screwed up the printing because everyone didn't like it they literally killed superman off again and said okay uh, that was a different superman we're going to bring the other superman back and he's now got a son this is where john kent comes in the brand new superman We had a lot of stories from 2016 to 2018 about Superman being a father in modern America. He was living out West. It was all about patriotism and family. And then someone from Marvel came over and they booted those writers off the books and gave it to this guy. And the guy sent Jonathan Kent into space and aged him up overnight, killed all his character development. He wasn't palling around with Robin anymore. He was a 20 year old because he basically couldn't be bothered to write about a kid. So this Jonathan Kent then took over a Superman last year in an event called Future State. It's originally called 5G because what they planned is to make a fifth generation of superheroes where everyone was more diverse. Batman was written by the 12 Years a Slave writer and is suddenly black. Uh, The Flash is non-binary. And Jonathan Kent becomes Superman. And Superman goes off into space with uh, grey temples like the old fuddy-duddy is and he's now consigned to a different book written by Grant Morrison again, funnily enough. So people were going, okay, where are we going to go from here? Maybe we can have some new stories. Well, to say that the character has been fundamentally changed would actually be an understatement because his new boyfriend is a pink-haired hacktivist inspired by his mother, Lois Lane, and the recent 
explain was called Enemy of the People, in which she took on the Trump administration directly. So the retcon isn't just we're unveiling something new about the character. It's expressly political and it's hollowing out the characters for within for the writer's personal politics. Man, first of all, I feel like I need to thank you for being up to speed on all the various differences, you know, in the, is, is this DC or is it uh, Marvel? Yes, this is DC, right? Is DC. In, the, in the DC universe, um, th- the fact that you're up to speed on that, I, I have to tip my hat to you. That is remarkable. But talk to me about why there is this this driving need among some circles to reinvent everything that, that is familiar to us. And, and why does it have to be recast in, in a new politically correct or at least politically acceptable mold? Well, this form of cultural uh, revolution is repackaged as representation. It takes the form of the false assumption that somehow ideas are conflated with identities, that there's a monolith of thought among a community, air quotes, of BAME, we say in this country, which is black and minority ethnic, or uh, black black Americans would be over there, or LGBTQ, LMNOP, as Dave Chappelle said in his recent special. Um, that's obviously a false dichotomy, because as someone who's worked as much in performing arts as he has politics, I know there are plenty of gay people who don't agree with this particular perspective. However, the highly paid activists, who are very professional, make a lot of money off of deepening racial... Uh, gender and uh, sexual orientation based divisions and they create these problems because it's very profitable for them to turn around and say hey you know what the solution is give us all the money and power to implement the policies we want and those policies just so happen to be socialism if you read things like Simone de Beauvoir's The Second Sex or a lot of the critical race theory stuff that comes out of Derek Bell and Kimberly Crenshaw and there have also been a, a lot of uh, same sort of things in the gender queer um, activist circles in academia so all this has trickled down into the into the cultural spaces like the comic book industry and that's become repackaged as representation we need to represent these communities because somehow the ideas these political ideas are tied in with the identities and what happens is a bunch of activists involuntarily politicize the lives of other people but if you make it so that the identity markers of a character are their sole contributing characteristic then it means that they're not heroic anymore heroism is something earned from behaviors hopes fears anxieties overcoming these traumas but if the entire point of the character is just to show him snogging a dude well then the identity becomes heroic and that allows you to demonize as a villain the identities which aren't that which are the straight white and male so it's a very convenient way of saying hey we're the good guys give us more money and power because we're the real heroes and everyone we don't like is the class of people we need to uh battle oh don't worry there's not going to end in violence at all like it has in every socialist state possible man that that sounds like uh that sounds like very fertile ground for anybody who's interested in in some you know first uh first rate propaganda unfortunately so but the and, and this essentially sent the comic book industry a massive decline it shut a lot of shops it means that the sales are in the toilet um the only fortunate thing has been people like ethan van skyver have created a, a movement called Comicsgate, which is a direct to market um, sales model. He's earned over a million dollars on a on a crowdfunding platform for his comic Cyberfrog. But tragically, of course, for guys like me, whose childhood dream was to in, in 2038 write the hundredth anniversary issue of Superman, um, it means that these characters might die off because the actual sales figures are going to diminish into the toilet. And then at the box office, they're floundering because now Tanahisi Coates is writing the new Superman movie and he's going to be recast as Black rather than Henry Cavill coming back. It's a tragedy. We're losing our pop cultural icons. Well, Connor, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, visit with me and my audience. Uh, For those who would like to follow you on Twitter, I I understand they're going to be in for a treat. Where can they find you? 
It's uh, at con underscore Tomlinson. I work with Young Voices UK and also the British Conservation Alliance. I have a Monday night show on talk radio. I'll be on tonight talking about this topic, funny enough, debating it with a good friend of mine, Jason Reed, who works with Young Voices UK. And hopefully I am looking to start up a project on this sort of topic sometime in the future. Very good. I can't wait till we talk again soon. Thank you. Pleasure. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Just want to take a quick moment here to thank my sponsors, including lifesavingfood.com. I don't want to scare you when I talk about food storage. I'm I'm not trying to convince you. The, The four horsemen of the apocalypse are riding down your street right now. You know, spreading death and pestilence. But I just, I want you to understand the system that we rely on to keep food on our table. It turns out it's a lot more fragile than a lot of people tend to believe. And if you don't believe me, I would say just keep your eyes open the next time you're in the grocery store and start to notice the empty spaces. They've been there now for a few weeks. And, and in fact, they, they seem to be expanding and, of course, we've got all the ships sitting off the shore, you know, waiting to be unloaded and so forth. Again, not to scare you, but just simply to point out the supply chain is a little shakier, maybe a lot shakier than most of us were led to believe that it could be. That's why it makes sense to have life-saving food on hand. Whether you're looking for survival kits, we're talking like 72-hour kits you could take hunting or throw in the car or keep with you. Freeze-dried foods, you know, that's a great thing. 25-year shelf life, you uh, you really have some options there. You could get starter food kits, long-term supplies, meats, vegetables, fruits, milk, and eggs. And my listeners get a 20% discount simply by using the coupon code HIDE at checkout, H-Y-D-E. So I would encourage you, please... Visit lifesavingfood.com. I have a link in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Think about filling in any gaps in your food storage. Think about having food storage, not just for your family and for yourself, but maybe for extended family, for neighbors. I'm not of the hoarder mentality. I think we should be able to help each other out. But the time to act is now while there are still plenty of supplies and while people are not in a state of panic. So... I'll let you do with that as you will. Well, Paul Rosenberg has always been uh, one of my favorite people to go to for a principled, insightful take on current events. And one of the things I love about Paul Rosenberg is he has a way of challenging my thinking, but in a good way. See, a lot of people get defensive, and I used to be this way too. The more dogmatic you are, the more likely you're going to react with anger or maybe indignation when someone presents an idea that you just may not be ready to hear. And his latest column tackles the subject of rules versus righteousness. Now, for some people, this is this is going to cause a little bit of a little bit of chapping to their hide. But Paul Rosenberg is just pointing out how simply following rules isn't the same thing as choosing to be righteous in our actions. That's a tough idea for some people to contemplate, but it's still worth understanding. Here's how he puts it. He says, yes, we've seen a string of irrational, malicious, even murderous rules lately. But he says, that's not what I'm addressing in this post. 
Paul Rosenberg says, today, my point is that rules by themselves, rules by their essence, are the opponents of righteousness. Now, he says, I know that strikes most people as impossible, but he says, I'm convinced that it's correct and it's important. In fact, he says, I expect to take this, con- this concept to take root slowly because human psychology is just that way. It takes time to absorb and sift ideas that are not only new, but which stand against basic assumptions. So he says, if this seems like it's too far out there, that's okay. Just please try to let it remain in your mind as a possibility, even if a far-fetched one. And then he says, thanks. This is what I love about his approach. It's not like, I'm going to beat you over the head with this until you accept it. So here's the case that he's trying to make here. When you analyze anything, it always, almost always, is going to come back to structure. Paul Rosenberg says there are multiple ways to analyze almost anything, but the one that stands out to me is analyzing the structure of things. As it happens, this type of analysis is rarely done for human affairs which I think accounts for a significant share of our problems. He says, what I want to do, briefly, is explain the structure of righteousness and show you why rules oppose it. So let's start with a definition. He says, righteousness is not merely doing the right thing or even knowing that you are doing the right thing. He says, righteousness is doing the right thing by your own will. Now think about what he's saying here. He says you don't improve your inner workings by following rules. Rather, you you surrender them to an exterior command. So if you're just following the rules, well, I got to do this because that's what the rules say, as opposed to, you know, your, your heart telling you this is what I need to do. That insults your inner parts rather than using and upgrading them. But he says, once you, once you generate your own desire to do beneficial and courageous things, you both strengthen your inner parts and you know that you're a source of benefit in the universe. That's righteousness. And it's a massively beneficial thing. Now, he says, the great difference in the two models is that in one of them, our inner parts are subsidiary and inferior to something external. Our actions are derived from something outside And our goodness is not inherent, it's subsidiary. In the other model, our inner parts generate goodness, making us primary and potent beings. Meaning beings who constantly and continually improve. He says, once we begin to see and accept this, we become objectively better beings. We grow and expand and we very certainly become more confident and reliable beings. Now, he says there's a lot more here, but he goes, I won't go through the space to give you how, all the examples of how rules diminish us and self-generated goodness improves us. But he says there are many. In fact, he's written about them in, in many other places. Still, he says it's notable that the best human actions arise when, where rules are absent or disregarded. A human who surrenders his or her judgment to rules is highly unlikely to show courage and to stand up for the oppressed. As the, the man or woman who summons the courage to act beyond the rules, that's where you're going to find the actual hero. As Martin Luther King noted, we should never forget that everything Adolf Hitler did in Germany was legal. Everything the freedom fighters did in Hungary was illegal. One final point. <clears throat> Paul Rosenberg says, humans have promoted rules as a path to goodness for millennia. 
with a doggedness to rile any compulsive disorder. He says if rules worked, we'd be a race of angels by now. So, rules do not engender human progress. In fact, he says they hinder it. And again, I know this seems strange, maybe even threatening. But I submit to you that while the concept may be foreign, it's true all the same. Rules displace and disgrace our inner mechanisms. We in our entire world will be far better off once we stop treating them as idols. And he finishes with thanks for considering it. I love this. <clears throat> I think this is, a, this is a terrific object lesson that every one of us can benefit from. And, and there are so many different ways that you see this played out. You know, I mean, um, I, I've, I feel for everybody who does air travel these days. And I'm going to be doing this myself here in about 10 days or so. Because there, there are the, the rules, you know, and, and it's not a law. It's just a rule, but, you know, the, these some of these flight intended, attendants are recently empowered, and by gosh, those rules, they are a source of power. They are a source of, of uh, you know, identity, and they are just ruthless. We hear the term Nazi thrown around a lot, but uh, I maybe I won't use that term. How about the term heel clicker? <clears throat> I mean, it's got to be slightly less offensive, but the idea is virtue in order to be virtue, has to be freely chosen. It can't be something that can be done with a gun to your head or with the threat of major fines or being placed on a no-fly list or, or whatever the case may be. If you're doing the right thing simply because you're being coerced to do the right thing, that doesn't make you a good person. I mean, it makes you an obedient person. It makes you somebody who's trying to avoid punishment, which is understandable. But it doesn't make you a good person. If you want to be a good person, you have to have the choice of not doing the right thing and fully being capable of making that choice for yourself, yet choosing to do the right thing. Man, I hope that makes sense. It's got to be freely chosen if it's really going to be virtuous. And if you want to live in a virtuous society, you've got to encourage people to make their own choices and to exercise their own freedom. That's a tough thing for a lot of people. Well, someone might use their freedom differently than me, or they might use it unwisely, or they might use it stupidly. And it's true, they might. But you've got to let them make that choice. And this is where you're going to separate the people who will give lip service to freedom versus the ones who actually understand it. The people who understand freedom understand it's going to be messy at times. Sometimes people will choose wrong. But it's better to live in free conditions than to live in a world where we try to prevent anything bad from happening ever by taking away everybody's freedom. Got a link to Paul Rosenberg's article in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Please check it out for yourself. This is The Brian Hyde Show.